0: Hello and welcome to another podcast, it is Coach Mark in Manila here from ESL, BusinessEnglishExperts.com and Initial-Impact.com. These podcasts you're listening to here are something different to try and give you access to inspirational people, stories or life ideas to assist you to either improve your life or maybe just practice your higher advanced vocabulary. You're going to listen to a variety of situations including anything from investing investing property, perhaps even starting your own business, or goodness knows what else, maybe famous scientists, who knows who we will find for you to listen to here. But the whole purpose of these podcasts is to give you an introduction to different vocabs, and also challenge you to make it an active listening session. So remember, pen and paper at the ready, and try to use the vocab in your day-to-day activities going forward after the podcast. So this is the best way, the only way you're going to advance your English. English is to use it. If you don't use it, you lose it. So good luck, happy listening, and take inspiration. I'll see you soon. All right, folks, welcome back to another incredible edition of the Summer
1: Series. And have we got a great story for you. We are talking to a property investor who has shown little different ways to actually skin the cat here for her to build her portfolio it's incredible what else are we going to cover Ben?
2: oh mate this is a story of money independence it's about taking charge taking action and being in control that feeling of being in control bryce
1: (laughs) it is a ripper folks stick around let's rip into the show Welcome to The Property Couch, where each week you get to listen to two of Australia's leading experts.
2: Bryce Holdaway, co-host of Location, Location, Location Australia on Foxtol's Lifestyle Channel. Co-host of Escape from the City on the ABC and partner of Empower Wealth Advisory. Ben Kingsley, Chair of Property Investors Council of Australia and the founder of Empower Wealth Advisory. Named the 2018 and 2019 Property Advisory Firm of the Year. Stay tuned as they bring you the insider's guide to property, finance, and money management.
1: All right, folks, welcome back to another edition of the Summer Series here on the Property Couch Podcast. And Ben, have we got another wonderful guest today as we're starting to get used to being in summer two weeks in.
2: Yeah, I love this story. This is a story where, again, there's a bit of a theme in the last couple of weeks about just sort of people not on big incomes. Um, doing great work. I mean this is a, t- a story of a teacher uh, who works in the local you know community and and they don't earn huge incomes and but they still find a way mm. they have determination they're not going to be a victim they're going to basically take action they're going to drive that story forward so I' you
1: know I really loved uh, our chat um, with Jessica. It is a terrific story folks. We are going to cut to that conversation we had now with Jessica Smythe. All right, Ben. We've got a very special guest today. Super excited to chat through this in another episode of the Sama series. We are talking with podcast listener Jessica Smythe. Welcome to the Property Couch, Jessica.
3: Hi. Thanks very much for having me.
1: Oh, it's a pleasure. We're excited to have you on. Um, lots to chat about, uh, lots to, lots of rabbit warrens that I'm sure we're going to go down with your particular story, but let's start it at the top where we always go, Jessica, you probably knew this question was coming, but um, tell us a little bit about money when you were growing up. What conversations or what conversation weren't happening um, at the dinner table when you were growing up?
3: Okay, so I think that's, um, for me, definitely one of the most powerful um, indicators of where I am, and that's because I come from a really wonderful, loving family who obviously were terrible at managing money. money caused a lot of stress between my parents and my household both of my parents had been married previously and had um, children to other marriages and then got married and had my younger sister and I so there was four girls in the house and there was a lot of talk of bills and yeah my parents fought about money which is extremely stressful for me and my my younger sister um and I, and I you know I'm so grateful that I've had the parents that I've had because I've had a wonderful um, childhood. But in terms of being smart with money, it's not something that I came to until later on in my life.
2: Now, Jessica, I had a similar upbringing. I've publicly mentioned that with my folks. I've had a wonderful upbringing. But also the debate around essential and discretionary money was where our arguments often landed about having so much versus, you know, not enough and those types of things. It wasn't um, ultimately not being able to pay the bills. It was more a discussion of delayed gratification versus, you know, do we really need something or is it, you know, is it a need or a want? Tell us a little bit more about that for you. Was it that the bills were getting struggled to be paid um, or you, you, you grew up with more of um, trying to keep up with the Joneses, so to speak?
3: Um, it definitely wasn't trying to keep up with the Joneses, but I was one of those children who was absolutely horse mad. All I wanted was a horse, and there was no way that my parents could possibly afford to have a horse. Anyone who knows anything about horses will know that they are a depreciating asset. (laughs) A lot (laughs) of money goes in and not a lot of money comes back (laughs) out again. So when I was 12, I started doing a paper run and this is really where my um, understanding about saving came from because I saved for years. I did a paper run for a year. I washed cars. I got a job at KFC. I, I did whatever I could to save as much money as I possibly could and I got lucky and I brought my first horse but that was all I had. I didn't have a bridle or a saddle or anything like that but um, I got there in the end and it was quite a powerful lesson for me but my parents weren't really in a position to um, support me in the way that I wanted to be. I wanted to be a show jumper and that's the kind of thing that you really need to have a significant amount of disposable income for which wasn't something that we had.
2: But there's some massive lessons in that story, yeah. right? Because ultimately um, that's a determination, it's goal setting, it's saving up towards that goal. Tell me about your parents' your parents and their response to that in terms of that they saw you working hard, paper run, KFC, doing the car washing. Yeah. Did they did they get behind you or were they sort of saying, is it really what you want? Did they try and talk you out of it? Tell me a bit about that story.
3: No, they they were very supportive. I mean, I guess um, you would both know as parents yourselves, you do a lot of driving around of your children to their various um, things. And so I always had their support, but it certainly was something that was difficult to take to the next level. And, you know, it didn't ever really go to the next level. I think I sold my last horse when I was 17 or 18, um, and I haven't brought another one since.
2: So, so you scratched that itch and <laughs> and then worked out that this actually there's, you know, you couldn't get to that next level. And so it was just a matter of I need to refocus my priorities or?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit more complicated than that because, you know, right. you're, you're 17, 18 years of age and various um, things are going on. But if I wanted to go down the path of being a horse rider, it would have sort of meant taking a very um, certain path particularly you know working for other people you don't earn a lot of money in that so it wasn't something that ultimately um, i did but i learned a lot from a lot from it
1: yeah jessica can you can we lean in on you said um that there was fights about money um and that was stressful for you and your sister can we can we get a little sense of what that how that stress came about how did you wear that stress what was it like and and how did you respond to those stressful times
3: um, I really hated asking my parents for money. I really hated it asking them for money because I knew that it was um, going. You know, I knew that they couldn't just give it to us. I, you know, my parents shopped in the op shop for clothes, which now is totally cool, but yeah. back then it was it was not.
4: Yeah.
3: <laughs> and you know, I felt really embarrassed about that. So I liked having my own money and being able to be as independent as possible and that's something that's driven me my whole life um despite some well i don't want to say errors i'm going to say learning experiences along the way i've always been financially independent and i really thank my parents for giving that to me
1: and and you when you so you got the job at 12 you started saving what what did that saving look like for you were, were you was there certain elements that you could learn from your parents, or were you? Um, was there a grandparent, or so? Where where were you learning the skills to on where to put that money and what to um, set the goal for?
3: I put it in a jar to start with,
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: and then I remember getting my first bank account with um, with the Newcastle Permanent actually, and I'm still with them. I have all my mortgages through them now, which is not because I'm a unquestioning loyal customer. It's just happened to be that they have always come out at number one Um, yeah so I started putting it in the bank when you had a little passbook and you had to have it stamped I really got a lot of satisfaction out of seeing my bank account go up even though you know when you're doing a paper run I think it was something like 12 cents a paper it wasn't a lot of money Um, but yeah no I really that really was satisfying to me um, having it there in those accounts. I've still got
2: that same account. It's my same account <laughs> <Really>? now. <laughs>
3: is it an offset account now or is it
2: still? It is. Like- <laughs> it is 100% offset <laughs> account. Able to move <laughs> offset? That's pretty cool. Hey, um, I want to lean in on that um, hated asking for money and ultimately you worked out really early that there's a money independence story going on here. Yes. What the greatest gift your parents gave you was the fact that you didn't grow up with any abundance, that there wasn't much surplus, and ultimately you worked out. And so I, that's my question. What was the age that you really did finally work out that if it is to be, it's up to me, and, and this whole money independence is is going to be my responsibility?
3: Early. I think really early. I'm, I'm going to say probably as, as early as sort of 13 or 14. Yeah. Um, but by the time I was 17, I was pretty much financially independent.
2: Now, question without notice around, um, obviously, the, your three other sisters.
4: Yeah.
2: How, how did, you know, you, you all grew up in the same family environment. Um, are they consistent with you on that front or are they spenders or savers or tell us a little bit about, you know, because, again, same environment, yeah. um, but I, I'm predicting that there's going to be different mindsets here.
3: Yeah, I think for my sisters, um, we're all very hard workers and we all have a hard work ethic and this is something that, that's one of the things that the podcast has transformed for me is it doesn't matter if you're a really hard worker, if you don't understand those principles of how money works, um, you can work as hard as you like and you'll make choices that mean that you just keep working hard and there there isn't that reward. So I think that's something that I've probably got a little bit more than my sisters and I mean we're all very different yeah and we've had different life circumstances and things happen along the way and I do think that that can really impact on your ability to be able to hone in and focus on this I don't have any children I've I've been able to focus very much on property whereas that's not necessarily the case for my for my other sisters
2: yeah, the decisions and the trade-offs that we that we are making around those types of things. And some things uh, out of our control forced upon us. A lot of other things that are in our control, making those judgment calls and those trade-offs about how we prioritize um, financials. Um, and obviously having children is is one of the greatest rewards one could ever have. But there is the trade-off that uh, with them comes obviously a huge commitment of money. But outside of that, yeah, he's exactly right. I mean, you know, ultimately the, the journey that we take and then take the best opportunities that we've got is also an important message here as well.
4: Yes,
1: you hit on a really good point too, Jessica, about that um, hard work. And it's I, I think it's I've been thinking about it a lot um, myself lately. Is we've all we've all really got sixteen hours in a day, all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got eight hours to sleep and we all sort of probably agree that the more that you sneak into the eight hours of sleep the less your quality of life is so so the hard work isn't the measuring stick of um of getting ahead it's 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 the it's the level of output that you can actually get from those 16 hours and so the people there's there's people who work super hard who get less output than people who don't work as hard so it, the the measuring stick shouldn't be um Um, geez, I'm, you know, I'm 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 battling away, I'm working hard. It should be how can I incrementally improve the amount of output that I'm getting from these hours. And it's I guess that's you know, it's nice for you to say the the podcast has helped that. But um that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to add leverage of skills and leverage of assets and leverage of um finance and using other forms of leverage other than trading time for money um for you to get outcomes that you're chasing. So it's it's a good point that you um, that you've highlighted there, I'm glad that the property couch has had um, a, you know a hand in that for you. Yeah. Um, do you so so you obviously we've talked backstory around growing up um, teenage years. Take us to first independent um, full time um, job, and what did that look like, and 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 what did your money behaviors look like when you started getting bigger pack, uh, pay packets?
3: Okay, so. Um... I went to uni a little bit later, I worked in hospitality, I worked in really low paying jobs um, before I went to uni and I worked really hard, I worked long hours and there wasn't a lot of, like the cost of living when you're in that situation. I think that's one of the things that I can really empathize with people. It's just not that simple to get out of that situation. Um, I learned a lot from being underpaid in in hospitality. It was actually, in hindsight, a very valuable experience to watch my boss get extremely wealthy off the back of, um, you know, hard labour of the young staff who were working there. I went to uni. I went to uni, I think I started when I was 21 and I did a teaching degree. I did a double degree, Bachelor of Teaching, Bachelor of Arts. And then when when I came out of uni, I was sort of ready to go and my um partner at the time said do you want to move to Bangalore and I said where's Bangalore <laughs> I'd never yeah. heard of it before and we were looking between Bellingen and Bangalore and and both of those there was sort of pros and cons to both but looking at Bangalore it's quite central and you've got a really vast array of schools in in a you know within an hour's drive. So and there's also an airport close by. You've got Ballina Airport, you've got Lismore Airport, you've got Gold Coast Airport, and you've got Brisbane Airport. So actually in airports have been a bit of a theme for me with looking at other properties later on. Um, because you've got accessibility. And so we chose Bangalore and I started working. And at that time I was with you know my my partner and um, my stepdaughter and we we built a house, so my money went into my family and, and building this beautiful house in Bangalore, which, um, that sadly didn't last. <laughs> and it's interesting now, and I you guys talk about it all the time, you know, uh, what a property is worth. Now, we we sold, and uh, it would be worth at least double of what we sold it for. Um, the was 2016 I think and out of that I walked away with just about nothing I still had a hex debt I had no savings and um, we weren't separating as quickly as what we could have so it was quite expensive and we had a large mortgage you know to me now means nothing because I, I just look at that asset that we had it was also our family home um, and I walked away with nothing, with my tail between my legs going, oh, my God, like here I am at I think I was 26, 25, uh, 27, 32. I can't remember. Hold on. <laughs>
4: 32
3: and walking away going, I- I've worked so hard my entire life and I have nothing to show for it. Yes.
2: And how did that make you feel at that moment?
3: Um. It was a pretty tough time and I had this fantastic job. I got a full-time permanent job in Byron Bay teaching in a wonderful school. So I had that. I was further on down the pay scale, so it certainly wasn't easy and um, just trying to recover financially. But I, I got really lucky. A friend of mine said to me, There's a little development happening and I think the developer, it's the first stage and I think they'll take a $5,000 deposit. I didn't have $5,000 and um, my mum lent me $5,000 and that probably would have been close to all the money that she had and I don't know if she would have done that for my other sisters but because I've always been um, good with money, she lent me this $5,000 and I went to the agent and said. You know, I offered them a bit less for the block of land and he said no. And I said, okay, well, will they take a $5,000 deposit until I settle in my separation? And they said yes. So that was a, it was a massive stroke of luck. There was a lot of bravery involved because like just even um, offering someone $5,000 as a deposit is, um, you know, intimidating. But yeah, that's, that's really the, the lucky thing that happened for me that um, just happened to be in the right place at the right time. And luckily it took for ages for that land to get registered. <laughs> and in that time I, um, I settled, I, did, I walked away from my separation with barely any money. I paid my hex debt, I paid my mum back and I paid the solicitor and I didn't have any money left. I got my first ever credit card and paid for the stamp duty, which at the time there was a discount for people who said that they would build within 12 months. And so I got this first ever credit card and paid the stamp duty with that. The land still hadn't registered. And so I was just able to keep saving and start thinking, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do when this land does register because I had a very limited borrowing capacity and the land just kept going up in value.
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> which, yeah. which is wonderful that it stayed going up in value in your name because there's plenty of stories where people do that and then the developer uses a sunset clause to get out because they used yeah. you to get funding and then they abuse you to say, well, they've gone up, I want to profit some more. So it's wonderful that you that you were able to keep that equity uh, growth in your name. Um yeah. And there's more to this story, but I'm interested in... Um,
4: a lot what, more. <laughs> what,
1: yeah, a lot more, I'd say. But your financial literacy at that time, like it sounds like you're, you're um, stepping out in faith here and, um, and um, you know, to a certain extent, just really trusting in the process. But what, how would you have graded your financial literacy at this point in time when you handed over that $5,000? I'd
3: say my financial literacy was actually, I, I don't want to say poor because I think I just had habits early on from you know having having the horses uh but i didn't understand i didn't understand at all i I really had no understanding that that's something that came when i'd already you know committed to buying this land um in in some ways that freaked me out a little bit because i was like oh my god what have i done you know i've made this huge financial commitment um and i can't even afford to build a house on it
4: (laughs) (laughs) yeah
2: but but in terms of day-to-day money management, Jess, were you, you know, you're pretty good there, right? Like ultimately you knew exactly what your commitments were. You had a good line of sight on essential and discretionary spending. And so from that point of view, so probably where you're, you're rating yourself is knowing that the, me- the mechanics of mortgages yeah. and, and how all that sort of works. Is that fair to say?
3: That, that's very true and I think that's something that you guys have taught me so much about the actual tools and skills. Um, I think initially what I was already sort of there and I had this half house, um, but it gave me faith that, okay, this is going to be okay and these are the skills that I need to, to work with what I've got here. One thing I'd, I'd like to say, I think, to, to listeners is that I've always owned my car. something that my parents were like never ever get a loan to buy a car you own your car you pay for it and I think that actually even though it's not explicitly good financial advice it actually is excellent financial advice so I learned you don't ever borrow money for a depreciating asset and that's probably why I still don't have any horses. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs>
2: maybe one day for horses day. There, yeah. you know there's there is definitely as you get over the hill and you come up to the peak of the mountain and financial peace there are some future choices you can have <laughs> yeah. horse yeah,
1: the right thing about out. what you did Jessica is you 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 had a plane that you needed to assemble and you jumped off the cliff and you assembled it on the way down and sure. um yeah and kind of had, <laughs> but kind of had the faith that you weren't going to hit the ground you you, you know at some point you'll assemble the plane and I think I think there is a lesson in that, um, um, you know, we don't want people to take overt risks that are not calculated, but, you know, it's, you were trying to, to buy some land, that's a good thing, you were, you know, a little money down, um, and the fact that you um, were able to secure that equity growth in your name um, is incredible. What does half a house mean in that part of the story?
3: Well this is where it starts to get a little bit interesting and and going back to that jumping off a cliff it wasn't totally jumping off a cliff because what I always I, mean, I still do it now I go what is the worst possible outcome here what's the worst thing that can happen and can I live with that and so oh, I think so yeah at the land of Bangalore, I, I really, the moment I moved to Bangalore, I had faith in it as a location because it was so central. You can get to the Gold Coast, you can get to Brisbane, you have this incredible lifestyle. And I just knew that Bangalore was going to go off. And one of my good friends said to me when she first met me 10 years ago, I was saying, buy property here, buy property here, um, because it's just such a livable place and it's accessible via car, Aeroplane, all those kinds of stuff. So I thought the worst case scenario is I'm going to have to sell this land, and I'm not going to lose any money. Yeah. I'm going to make a little bit of money. I walk Calculated out. Calculated risks. Yeah, yeah. So really, it wasn't a high risk other than like the stress that you would go through doing that. So the half house, the land was three hundred and fifty-five thousand. Put a five thousand deposit down. I saved up, paid the rest of the deposit. It was all very stressful because I was waiting on, on my settlement with not much money to come through. And but what I did is I um, I'd learned that you can actually submit a DA before land is registered. There is a way, and so I knew that I I'd, I'd already calculated that the moment that that land was registered and I had to start paying, I was going to be paying rent and paying for land that. So I was going to be paying twice. So I submitted my DA. I. Submitted my DA whilst the land was still unregistered, so the moment it was registered, I was ready to go. So I did a lot of work in that time, um, and I investigated all kinds of scenarios. And the, the land was three hundred and fifty-five thousand, and the bank said the maximum we will lend you is five hundred. Now that was the Newcastle Permanent. I looked with all kinds of people, and it sort of varied between four sixty and and four ninety. Newcastle Permanent was the the bank that would lend me the most. So how do you build a house for 155000 And I really didn't want to build a project home because it would have been a very small, crappy project home. And anyone who knows anything about the Northern Rivers knows it's mouldy. And I wanted the house up off the ground. I wanted a little timber cottage because that that's what Bangalore, that's why people pay money to go and live in Bangalore. They don't want a project home. So, I sat down with a carpenter and we designed a little timber cottage and I cut it in half and I staged the development. So, I built half a house. <laughs> I moved <laughs> into half a house and I was, the, because I had done all this before the land was registered, <laughs> I was the only one there and people would walk past and look at it and go, What's going on there? It's, <laughs> I'll send you a photo. When
4: we would love that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely love that.
3: So I had a little half house and I was so terrified because I was surrounded by um, paddocks and then my first neighbour moved in and they moved to Queensland and I was so relieved because where I'd built with my ex was surrounded by beautiful timber homes and I was very paranoid that people would come down this street and and do a whole heap of project homes. So I had this half a house. It was so expensive. I was... I think the mortgage at the time was $620 a week. So I was just paying, 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 and I was gaffer taping my shoes together. But again, um, the land at the, the, the next stage of the subdivision had started and the land just kept going up in value. So it didn't take too long before I was able to borrow off the equity to build the second half of the house. And then I left it cut in half. So there's a door behind a cupboard and I had a screen put on the veranda. So it's not legally, it's not a legal duplex. But I'm not a person who needs a lot. I work full time. I have a busy life. I don't want a big house. I've got a real issue with study nooks and things in houses that people don't use. It's one of the things about project homes that really put me off. It's just excessive consumption that you don't end up needing. And so the first part of the house about, um, it's about 70 square metres with a nice big veranda, really simple, and the back bit is about 60 square metres. And I'm like, I'm going to live in the back bit and rent the front bit out, which is what I did. And, um, but, but I've got to say, while, while this was all happening, before I built the back bit, I started. I was so poor, all I, all I could do was garden and I, um, I, I planted so many plants. And why I was planting all those plants, I was listening to you guys in the podcast. So that's what I did in my garden um, with with very little money and a shovel.
2: So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jesse, did you always know that you were going to rent out a portion of it or no? Was that sort of like a, an afterthought that just worked out really Evolution. well built it in stages?
3: No, I thought if I do this like this, I'm going to have options and I'm going to, oh, suffer, I'm going to suffer in the meantime, but I'm going to have options. And I could open the house up and... Um, have a housemate I could leave it cut in two I've I've got options with this setup and ultimately it is supposed to be one house and um, all I've got to do is sort of remove the screening wall from out on the veranda and put a nicer door in between the two sections and there I go I really love living in the back bit small nice veranda yeah
1: so you do that on a permanent basis or a short-term basis it sounds like long-term
3: no, I've moved out. I rent both of them out now. And I'm, I'm <laughs> <laughs> and actually I remember um, one of your first things on rent vesting. I forget the name of the guy, but it really stuck with me. I was like, yeah, okay. Um, I'm, right. I'm a water right. baby, so I, I like to be close to the water. And Bangalore is actually very close to the water, but to leave before work, you have to pack your whole car with everything that you need for the entire day. Um and so, yeah, I, I've, I'm living with a friend down in Byron and renting both half of my houses out.
1: <laughs> Wonderful, which is which is uh, spinning off a, a bunch of cash flow. I, I, we, it'd be worth touching on the fact that your mum gives you um, life savings, everything she's got, and yeah. um, takes an extraordinary amount of faith in you. That I mean, that must fill you with pride to be able to go back to mum and say thanks for thanks for backing me in. Because let me tell you a story about. That one decision that you made—that's—that's that's set off a sliding doors moment for me. Do you do you get to have that reflection yeah. time?
3: And she she is so she's so proud of me, and I'm um, immensely grateful for that opportunity. Immensely grateful. Um, okay. Yeah, it, it, you know, it was a stroke of the stars aligning, um, and it yeah. I'm I'm just so lucky. I just had that faith, and she she believed in me so. Yeah.
2: Yes, Jess, I can tell you my story where, um, you know, even still now, my mum and dad, or mainly my mum, goes, uh, "You, you, you, you know what you're doing? Do you, do you know what you're doing? Like, you, you've got a bit of debt now, Ben. You, 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 do, you, do, you, do, you, do your do your parents lean in on that conversation for you around? So you you need another one of these, do you? Can you tell me why you need another one of these?
3: Um, no they they really they really believe in me and Right. Yeah, I think they they look to me as a source of um, pride, advice and, and what to do. Yeah. You've got yeah.
1: you're, you're, you're an inspiring story. Your sisters should be looking at you going, wow, she's taken some punts and it's worked out beautifully for her. Um, but that's that property is now renting out this too, but that's that's not the end of the story for you. There's more. So there
3: is more.
1: Talk us through, you know, what, what happened after that.
3: Okay. So listening to you guys doing my gardening um, and I started to think about what I wanted to do for property two and when, and when was the right time for that? Now, in hindsight, I actually, no, I, I think property three is probably the one that I probably could have slowed down a little bit on, but I knew that I wanted a house that I could add value to. I knew I wanted house and land. Um, I knew I didn't want to deal with strata or anything like that, that I wanted to keep it as simple as possible so that um, it was manageable and that I could add value to it. So I was looking at little houses. Again, I've got a little theme about little houses and then I did something that I wouldn't recommend to anyone.
2: <laughs> right, do tell.
3: <laughs> and I actually wondered if I should, because I can cut this bit out of the story quite easily <laughs> if I needed to, but my my eldest sister became incredibly unwell and it was life-threatening. It was at the beginning of this property boom during COVID, which she was... she her landlord decided to sell her house and I had this moment driving into um, where my parents live. we were going to pick my sister up and she was just sitting there sobbing and it was so devastating for me because again she's done nothing wrong she's a good person she's worked hard her whole life she's raised a beautiful child and here she is sitting there with not even a house to go to so i so I thought, well, I know oh, my three sisters. I hope I don't ever listen to this. I wouldn't do it for the other two, but this sister I thought, well, maybe I'll buy a house and she can be by a tenant because I know exactly what she's like she 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 pays, she looks after the house she works there's no issue with that. um I guess the risk for me in that was that she could become unwell and have to go like not be able to work. She, she's had half of her insides cut out. It was quite, um, wow. quite a thing to live through. And then what I learned in that, I'm looking at these houses going, well, I can't value add to them because she's not going to be able to afford it. <laughs> you know, I can't just renovate that or add a room on here, there or anywhere because then what's the point of that? She's, that, she's going to end up in the same situation just a couple of years down the track. And then I started looking at building again and and replicating what I'd done in Bangalore with the two sides of the house. And that was really tricky. And there were so many issues with it. And again, that double pane in the bit where you're not, where you're building. And then I came across this tiny little one bedroom house on a 420 square meter block, gorgeous, beautiful garden. And um, I'm not really an aggressive person, but I went hard and that's the house that i brought bought and it's been an absolute winner. One, she's an excellent tenant. We have a three-year lease. The next lease I'll do with her, I'll do a really long lease. I like long leases. I don't want to be dealing with tenants every six months. I'm a big fan of rather than changing, you know, to, to go for that extra money, I like the stability that suits, suits me and she pays, and she lives in the tiny little one bedroom house, and I have had plans drawn up to add a second bedroom to it, which are just sitting there waiting for me to, um, for to, do, to do the d a and yeah and it's just really performed as a property aside from that it's it's in an area where there's nowhere else to grow, there's nowhere else to to go and it's got lots of nice little timber cottages in it and it's an area where people are buying and renovating and the growth there has been obviously bumped along by COVID but what I've noticed there in comparison to other areas, it hasn't really dropped off. Like I haven't seen a steep decline in the property around so it's been a great little house and it's one that I, I locked in on a fixed interest rate. Um, interest only for 2.49 2. doesn't come up to 2025. So
1: savvy. So yeah.
3: That one. Savvy. <laughs>
1: Which part so, of that story is forget. the bit where you say you wouldn't recommend it because I'm...
3: Don't oh. buy a house for your siblings. Oh, gotcha.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, don't buy a house for your siblings.
1: <laughs> now, Jess, can you, can
2: you know, is there a chance there where your sister might be able to um, also save and get a deposit maybe for a flat or something like that down the track so she Probably. also has her own own property like can you coach her or guide her in that story
3: yeah i think for her and um I, this is one of the most powerful things that you guys have given me and i and i imagine a lot of listeners out there she doesn't necessarily want to own a property and there's a lot of fear involved in that concept i would 100 percent support her to save up to buy a little um a little flat if that's what she wanted to do but at this point in her life i don't know if she's in a place where she's ready for that kind of personal transformation. And I think when you're yep. coming from where we have, that's actually what this is. It's not just a financial transformation. It's a it's a whole person transformation.
2: Yeah, understood. So, I mean, ultimately, if that is the case. And if you're having that conversation with your sister, the super is the alternative, right? Because obviously that's the, you know, in terms of the biggest challenge segment of our society, financially, it's 50-something females. Single 50-something females, right? They are the one who are the most challenged in terms of not being able to financially support themselves. So whether it's, again, getting an asset that that builds value over time in property or it's, you know, basically focusing on and getting that super momentum and that compounding, you know, getting to a stage where she's got a little bit of a nest egg, whether it's in bricks and mortar or whether it's, you know, elsewhere, is is still really important that, you know, you can hopefully pay that forward for her.
3: And she's in a position now where she's able to save, and um, yeah, that that that's that 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 one feels pretty good. And yeah, right. um, yeah I'm I'm happy, very happy with the outcome on both a financial and a family, personal level.
1: It's more than money on that one, isn't it? That's um, yeah. the, there's there's some there's some heart and emotion in that. So, um, so you got this property. Two incomes, then you buy one. Four hundred twenty square meters, one bed. Sister lives in it. Is this the end of the property story?
3: No. <laughs> yeah. What happened next? Well, then, okay. So COVID was happening, and I'm, I, I, I've, I've learned from you guys and the, and the stuff that I've read that property is a long game, and it's you know if I wanted something more immediate, then maybe I would double in shares, which is not really my style because I'm kind of I understand my weekly income and how that works and how this works over a long period of time and I did some projections about um, what it would look like waiting and what it wouldn't look like waiting and because of my debt to income ratio which is like right up there as I'm sure you can imagine I'm kind of restricted, so I've got plenty of equity. I think there's about four hundred and fifty thousand of equity in the Bangalore property and uh, a fair bit in in Talara as well like i the mortgage is two seventy nine and that's I think it would sell at market for four eighty maybe even a little bit more so I've got plenty of equity, <laughs> but I, I also have this huge debt. And, and rather than people looking at me going, oh, you've got no children, you own your car, I can pay my credit card off tomorrow if I need to. Um, I don't have an exorbitant lifestyle. They they'd see that big debt and go, rant, rant, red lights. Um, I'm not in mortgage stress. If I was in mortgage stress, I know what my my, you know, I know what I can do to um, bring that under control. I know what my worst case scenarios are. So I started looking and looking and looking and looking and looking, and I looked in regional off-the-coast areas in Queensland and Victoria. I almost bought another one-bedroom house in um, Wangaratta in Victoria, and I got outbid, and I went to Woomba. I looked at Armidale, Bathurst, and lots of areas like that, because my borrowing capacity was around the 300,000 mark and I was just really dissatisfied with what those areas had to offer. Meanwhile, people are starting to go crazy and I didn't have FOMO, but I went, if I do nothing now and wait two or three years, my situation, my borrowing capacity was going to remain about the same based off those um, projections. Even paying my mortgage down, I was still going to because the price of property is going to go up, even though I've, I owe less than my mortgage, I was going to come out the other side the same. And I thought, okay, well, I'm going to look for unregistered land. I'm going to try and see if I can do another Bangalore. And so I started looking for unregistered land on the east side of the Pacific Highway and started honing in on areas around there. And I've secured a block of land with the deposit bond, so I haven't actually paid anything. I've paid the stamp duty um, in Nambucca Heads. Nambucca Heads, I'm I'm, I'm going to say it's not an A-grade property area yet, but it's half an hour from Coffs Harbour. It's Coffs Harbour Airport is growing. They've just opened this big industrial development on the south side of Coffs Harbour they are just skyrocketing and people have got somewhere need somewhere to go that's affordable. So I've sort of realized I'm not a, if I had if I'd had more money I would have gone to Vallev Beach but I was you know always going to be priced out of Valor Beach. Um but I think Nambucka's you know and if not well we'll see what happens. I've got the block of land on the market. If it sells it sells if it doesn't I will have to build something and I'll probably build a small project home. Um, I may go down the path of looking at having having it sort of NDIS, you know, wide, that kind of thing, just because, you know, Nambucca is a retirement town. And I, yeah. I could also go down the path of doing another two-stage development, just keeping it really, really simple. Because the one thing I've learned about that is that if you've got elderly parents or someone who needs to be looked after, but you don't want to live together, but you really, you know, need to live together, they're there is it's a niche market but there's definitely yeah some benefits to that and it gets over the
2: next 20 years it's not going to be yeah. a niche market it's going to be a prime market for those baby boomers who are pushing through that yeah. sort of 70 through to 90 years of age yeah and they've also they're the retirees that are pushing demand into those areas and yeah you're right the, the health needs and requirements of those people and the care requirements needs of those people based on the back of obviously what we're seeing with the federal government support around aged care and you know, potentially lifting the wages in that aged care area. You think over time, progress, uh, population growth and all that, it'll get a ripple effect into that particular location, there's no doubt. Because yeah, the
3: and look, effect. if you look at it now, on the, on the face of it, it looks pretty rough. There's a bit of housing commission there, but it's, it's too close to the water. Yeah. You know, it's too close to the water and it's too close to Coffs Harbour. Coffs Harbour, if you're a police officer or a nurse, there's a university there. It's quite a significant regional hub, and I only think that's going to grow. So I've got faith in Nambaka. It may not be it won't be Bangalore. It's a long-term play. But it's a long-term play. And meanwhile, the land is still unregistered. And I haven't, I've paid the stamp duty, I've paid the deposit with a with a deposit. I haven't paid the deposit. I've paid with a deposit bond, which I think cost me 1100 dollars so if they go down the sunset clause data backing out, which I don't think they will, but if they did, I um I haven't the worst case scenario. Yeah. I, can yeah. I can deal <laughs> with the worst case scenario.
1: I think the important thing here is you're just progressing your journey and you're navigating um based on your, you know, you talked about your DTI and then so what did that mean for you? And you you didn't leave that um let that be inertia for you. So my question for you, and I've got a couple of quick fire questions for you as we um as we work towards the end, but um what's the goal? Like you started out um, with a $5,000 deposit from mum just to, just to get yourself on the, on the ladder, but now you're becoming a sophisticated um, investor who's now starting to, you know, there's nothing, you know, you're in the same state, but you're still um, embracing borderless by, um, I'm not, not just buying in my own suburb. I'm prepared to go further south down the coast and, and try different things. What's the goal? What are you aiming for? What's What's the what's the the pot at the end of the rainbow for you?
3: Hmm, okay, well, there's some there's a few things there in terms of um, like I'd like to retire well and um, sort of be able to always support my family. That's really important to me. The the big thing that's going to throw a bit of a spanner in this. For me, is that I have a fantastic job. I get paid every fortnight. Um, you know, I've I've been teaching for ten years. I'm in a leadership position. It's very stable. It's very consistent. You know what's going to happen. It's easy to do mathematical calculations and projections off that. You can forecast. But I actually would like to change degree. Uh, change change my whole whole life quite significantly I'm halfway through a law degree which has been very difficult Uh, and I know that I want to work in the property space somewhere I didn't know that before I started this journey and I think you guys have definitely inspired me there I love building I don't recommend building for everyone but more than building I'm I'm actually interested in housing and what we do moving forward as a society I I listened to the um podcast you had with our premier and it was interesting like I I wanted to say things to him about that because if we want to work with the housing issue you have to build more houses it's as simple as that there's not enough houses we're not ever going to fix housing affordability but we have so much riding on the back of people owning property and their wealth through property and it's historic, and it's not just historic from Australia. It's, it, it comes from England. It comes from our legal system that was brought here when the British colonised Australia. So to turn that ship around is such a mammoth task, and there's a lot of vested interests in not turning it around, but I do think we need to think differently about it, and I think we need to think differently about median density I'm a big fan of medium density. I don't know if you guys have ever been to Habitat. I'm not getting paid to say anything about Habitat. But as a concept, it's fantastic because you've got that mixed use. People can have an office downstairs, live upstairs. There's a shared pool. There's a shared area. I'm sure the strata fees there are really expensive. But I think moving forwards that it's a really fantastic option and we need more of that. If you don't go up, you go out. So I'm not necessarily saying that's a bad thing, but there's also an environmental impact and why are we building on really good farmland and stuff like that. So my bigger picture goals is to move somewhere into that space, but the transition is going to be tricky because I've got the now. You know, I've got a lot of balls in the air at the moment.
4: Yeah. So
2: I'll just give you one just small thing. Can you just make um lands titles uh universal across Australia? Australia. Yeah, just yeah, just, just, just just let's just start with the, the easy one.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I um yeah, i starting I'll do property law and conveyancing next year. <laughs> if I can squeeze it in and I think there's a lot of issues with um oh
2: it's massive. That's not gonna change in my lifetime, I don't think. But back to your point around um Co-share living—that is going to be in the mix. I mean, ultimately, as we evolve as a society and our population grows, there will be you know those people who enjoy that co-share living, and that's going to be in the mix. Um, There's build-to-rent that's going to start to come into the mix. So, yeah, I mean, I do predict that you know in terms of private ownership of rental uh, dwellings will actually be on the decrease rather than on the increase. The way in which the government agenda is playing out right now. So. Yeah, and it's happening already. We're actually seeing less and less property investors are actually, you know, based on the tenancy reforms and everything that's been going on, a lot of people are just saying it's just not worth it in in terms of doing that. So if that continues on, um, then you're going to see, big, you know, the big end of town get into that particular space. So it's definitely going to be a, a growing space from a law point of view. So I, I don't think you'll struggle in terms of finding opportunities from whether it be conveyancing um, land titles through to, you know, as you're sort of talking about they're more sort of productive, um, better use um, and legislation around sort of, you know, how we change zoning um, to accommodate. Uh, yeah, I, t- I could talk to supply. you about
3: zoning forever. I've, I really, um, it was bizarre. Yeah, thing that so- it's been. But I think zoning is a joke and, and the Local Government Act and the development process. I know they, they've they reformed in New South New South Wales—they've reformed the law so many times, and it's still such a mess. And still, you see developments get through that should not get through. Yeah, and you try something Always. really simple, yeah. can't get it through. So, yeah, there's a lot there I could talk about, but that's not why I'm here. So, no,
1: no that's all good. Well, there, there that's is, a good goal. <laughs> yeah. Well, there is a bunch that we could talk about. I've been fascinated by the conversation and really enjoying it. There's a couple of quick ones I want to uh, fire at you just go One is. How do you feel um, about the sentiment in the market right now around rising interest rates? How is that impacting your psyche and your um, your portfolio?
3: Okay. So I always knew that interest rates were going to go up because they were at a historic low. And I was lucky that when I jumped in, it was low because it did give me more capacity to do stuff. Personally, um, I'm still positively geared that, the property in Talara, that will change once um, the fixed interest rate goes up. But Bangalore will probably become negative geared in the next um, interest rate rise. I'm not worried about it because I expected it. I kind of thought, you know, when you do the worst-case scenario thing, it really you really think about what is the worst thing that could happen. Um, and I think that that will settle in... In, in the population, I think people will settle and readjust to interest rates being higher. They couldn't stay at that rate. And I think in some ways a bit of damage was done by having them so low for such a prolonged period of time. I understand that there was reasons for that, and I'm not an yeah. economist, so, you know, I'm probably talking out of school a little bit there. But I'm not worried about the interest rates. For me personally, I, you know, knew that they were going to go up. Um, and I think that everyone else will settle down when they come to accepting that that's where it is. You just have to reconfigure your, you know, you can have the same plan. It just needs to shift a little bit to um, to cater for that. And like you guys say, I, I rang up my bank over, and say, is that the best you can do? Because otherwise I'll go somewhere else. And I went to refinance once, and I've never had so many phone calls from them, and I ended up with a really fantastic team
2: (laughs) team kicking in there. Hey, Jess, does um, does further rate rises or one or two more rate rises tap you out on Project 3 Build? Like, how does that Well, that will be very
3: interesting. Um, That will be interesting (laughs) then to see what happens there. It could have an impact, definitely. Yeah. But... I'm just going to I I feel like I can't all I can do is look at the possible scenarios and be prepared but until the land's registered and I have yeah. to make a choice, yeah. make a decision and I'm going to probably go down the path if it hasn't sold closer to when I think it's going to register, I'll go down the path of trying to do all the DA and that stuff yes. so you know, I hit the ground running because that period of yep. double paying is not very nice and no that'll hurt
2: when when do you think the registration of the land might um, pull through?
3: Oh, that's an interesting question because they always like to say and I, when I ring I'm like just just tell me what it is. I don't care if it's 2 years away, just I just want to know. Yeah. No. Oh no, 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 you know, it's, you know in 4 weeks time we're laying laying the tarmac and I went last time I drove down to see my family, I went past and I'm like this is nowhere near ready. Yeah. <laughs> that hadn't where my block is that they were still putting in the services. And so then the agent rang me and said there was some kind of problem with drainage, and I thought, okay. Oh. Um, it's annoying in the sense that it's stopped me from doing anything else, but also I know that my borrowing capacity wasn't going to change dramatically, and also even, even if property prices stabilise now and come down a little bit, it doesn't help me at no. all. Mm-hmm.
2: But you'll be able to settle on the land, I suspect, um, based on your borrowing capacity now. So that buys you a bit more time anyway. Before- I yeah, a bit more time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
3: It's gone up in a hundred thousand. So if I walk away and if I sell it and I walk away, I'll think, well, you know, I didn't do too much in that time. But yeah. you know, the worst case scenario is not so bad.
1: Yeah. My final two for you. The first one's a quick one. Who do you get to talk to in your um networks um about property um if you if you do? And the final one is. We put the call out, Jessica, to come on to this podcast, and a lot of people get that little niggle that says, "Yeah, I want to do that," but then, but then they don't put their hand up. And um, you know, before we started recording, you were you were a little nervous. Why? Why did you put yourself through that? Why? Why? Why did you come in? So, first one is, who do you get to chat about in your networks? And two, why did you come on?
3: Okay. So number one, I don't get to chat to enough people about it, and I bore people, and people often, um, you know tell me what I believe is incorrect information and you know I'm an evil landlord and if we're in communist China I'd be in serious trouble. (laughs) But I I guess that's why I listen to the podcast because I feel like I'm not it's not a two-way engagement and anyone anyone who'll talk to me about it, (laughs) I'll talk about it. Um, But I don't have a really I have a I have someone who's done a bit of mentoring with me who is good but he's hard to access on a regular basis. Um, that's something that I think is important, actually, and I could probably work on trying to find someone to, to talk about more often. Yep. Um, and then, okay, for the people who are out there going, oh, maybe. Well, I hope that I have. There's other people who've come from a like I haven't come from any money. It has nothing's ever been given to me, and it's possible you can do it. And the stories that people come on and share might touch someone. So there could be someone else out there listening. And I really encourage um, women and single women because, you know, we're underrepresented. Not, not, I don't mean that in, you know, I know that men have their own challenges, but... Mm. I think that if someone can be inspired to come on, and I loved listening to your summer series. I loved it. I love listening to people's stories and what they did. And, um, you know, I remember one guy saying something about, oh, that's right, he and his wife had two of everything. They brought their own stuff. And, and you guys were saying what you were saying. I'm thinking, that's brilliant. That, <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was
1: Brendan. That was back in the very first uh, summer series. Yeah.
3: I oh, like that was so good and another one was the um the credit card because we haven't talked about much that much now all my money goes into offset accounts and then I have a very similar system to the money smarts but as another guy said I just everything goes off the credit card and he, I, I couldn't see Ben but I could feel
1: you <laughs> <laughs> feeling uh, bristle yeah
3: and I, I will say for for all the people out there listening that I really believe in the money smart system it's very makes it very, very achievable. Um, if, particularly if you can deal with the, the delay gratification and not So, now, anyway, just yeah. you give
2: me an opportunity to then, you know, sort of talk about how that it's now mobile ready so you can download it and it's on the mobile. So, there you go. So, thank you for that little clue to uh, put a little segue in there. But we launched it at, on our final episode uh, at the end of November and now it's now it's actually up and running. So, that's terrific. So, yeah. that gives me a little plug for the. For the download the app from the iTunes Store or for the uh, Android Store.
3: And look before before you before you um, before you finish, I do want to really thank you guys for this because it's it's so hard to learn this stuff when you just don't know. You don't know what you don't know, and I really appreciate the time and effort that you put into offering people free financial education. And um, I, I think it's been a really big contribution to a wide community so thank you
1: well thank you for that i was going to say to you um we're we're privileged that our property and our business provides us um so we don't have to turn the podcast into a commercial opportunity so thank you for saying that because it's a it's something that ben and i definitely wanted to um provide as a as a legacy piece to share what we've known and then people can hear these concepts and in ten and fifteen years, the podcasts that come out should be way better because then they had us as a foundation, and then they could take it to another level. And so we'll get a real sense of joy out of that. But I also want to say thanks to you for putting your hand up because um, as I was as I was throwing it out there to our uh, people to come on, you may or may not remember. I said, "Ladies, please come on." I know I know we're a couple of footy love and heads, but we we do really like this conversation we've had. With you has been so engaging and so incredible and and very inspiring and I love the fact that you came from nothing I love the fact that you backed yourself in I love the fact that we had a little joke around you know uh, assembling the plane on the way down and you very carefully said no I didn't jump off the cliff it was you know it was a um, a, you know there was calculated moves that you made and I and I 100% agree um, that you've been very calculated and in everything you've done but just to hear your story and just to hear the nuances of the story and to hear how you've helped your sister and how it was the 5000 from your mum and there was stress responses from those things are amazing and and um so um i i love it when the ladies put their hands up um you, thank you for putting your hand up and um um there there is stuff in here um that that people will be able to take away but I think I think the main takeaway from me, and I could run off a heap of, you know, to borrow Ben's term, if it's to be, it's up to me. You you just cut your own path, and it's um, it's been really incredible. So thank you, thank you for the feedback, but thank you for putting your hand up. Um, I, I'm I'm personally, I know Ben, I speak for him as well. We're we're just grateful that you did that because it is nervy. People, everyone who comes on this, they get nervous, and then the, there's a common thread when we're about to push record, and they go. Geez, this morning I woke up and I just didn't know why I put my hand up to do this. <laughs> what was I thinking? But I'm gee whiz. I'm I'm, yeah, we're I'm stoked. I'm super, super stoked. Ben.
2: No, that's right. I, I mean, Jess, you're a you're a testimony to again, um, your situation could have gone in a different direction, but you took charge of your life. You went to university at a later stage, you built an education platform that allowed you to get an income based on your mind and what you create and how you add value. And as a teacher. I mean, you know, we have the utmost respect for teachers because ultimately, you know, they're educating the next generation which is going to take this, you know, country forward. Um, so that's, you know, that in itself. And and it's a testimony to single people, teacher. So you're doing a community service. You're not earning the big incomes. There's a great story here that people need to understand. So some people will choose to play, you know, um, no action. You know, I couldn't do it. Um, but your mindset is one of action and accomplishment. And so for that... I commend you highly for what you've been able to achieve so far, and I look forward to checking in on the story in about twelve months' time to see what happened. It'll <laughs> It's um, so. interesting to see.
3: What <laughs> yes,
2: done.
1: exactly. Yeah.
3: Um. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me on the show. It's
1: been a pleasure. Thank you, mate. Talk about action-oriented and at times just operating in faith. I mean, yeah. we it's just another example, like. Um, you don't need to read all the books in the library on property investing because what happens is you just need to know enough at the beginning to get started, and then just let action do a lot of the work for you. And uh, you can see from Jessica's story here that um, she let her circumstances meet where she was at, took action, and then looked for creative ways to leverage um, an income situation that you know self-disclosed by her wasn't you know um, super high, and yeah. made it work.
4: Yeah,
2: look, I mean, I look at this in a couple of parts. The first one is in the earlier data, She, you know, that comment around hating, asking for money because she just knew that things weren't great. Obviously, inside that household, it was a blended household. Um, So savings became an important part and she learnt how the delayed gratification, you know, the horse story um, in terms of what that looked like. So for me, um, she built a tremendous uh, money independence Mindset that if it was to be, it was up to me. Um, and she'd learned how to do that. So that's stage one. The, then we, you know, that money evolution then turns into money management. Um, so, you know, don't borrow money for cars, you know, always looking at worst outcomes. So doing cash flow modeling. Um, and my, my other one was sort of the creative nature in terms of how she made it work. I.e, you know, building a house with two sites to allow additional income to come in. I mean single you know, single woman, you know, making it very empowering in terms of what she's doing for herself. Um, and the the story is um, a transformation story now where she's got choices and part of what she's now interested in doing um, is to obviously look at changing her career. She's now got a passion for property. Um, so she's looking at exploring that, and look, she wouldn't have been able to done what she did without either finding out the knowledge for herself or getting professional help to help her. You know, she found out those regulations around being able to build or get started. You know, and the planning permits and so forth. So that it's just it's just a testimony to who she is and and how she operates. So, but um, well, I think that
1: shows Ben too that she actually is in doing in the doing right. Yes. And then from there just start ferreting and getting the information because it's all applying to the doing rather than the, the theorizing around what it should be. So I think there's two very good points there. It's the action taking and then the fastidiousness around understanding what to do once you have that action. I still never get sick of asking the very first question we always ask, Ben, is how is uh the money conversation over the dinner table? Because um, there was the quote was terrible at managing money and when they fought about that money, it became really stressful. So it's interesting yeah. to see some of these early forming um, uh, paradigms around money. But what sort of leverage that's provided for for Jessica to go, okay, I don't want that in my world. I'm going to use that as a platform for me to actually navigate this, so I don't actually have that problem uh, under my own roof. And I, I think it's a credit to her. She's clearly articulate she's very very sharp and and switched on so i think the results are really a reflection of someone who's an action taker
2: yeah and she's going to now have to make some some other choices she's got a few ideas about what she wants to do so it's about how she sequences those and how she thinks about the cash flow impacts and all of that as well so being able to sort of think about that and plan those potential scenarios is going to help her reduce any risk of mistake um, you know, because obviously, from from that point of view, um, it's all looking really good at the moment. Um, so I really love that sort of moving forward mindset that she's been she's been able to create for herself, and and it sort of you know it it speaks a lot about what we're trying to do with the more platform as well in terms of trying to get that sort of understanding. So a little you know reminder for people: if you're not sure about where those cash flows are at, if you're not sure about where things are going. Um, get organized jump on the you know the new mobile version of the more platform or uh, or obviously you've got the web version as well so it's a super platform and and that's going to be part of our core motivations being able to sort of see people like Jessica who says right I need a savings program you can do that I need to be able to get motivated get organized you can do that and you can keep your learning in terms of because money is the critical part of that story so that's what I love
1: about uh, Jessica's story. And, Ben, a little shout-out to uh, Jessica's mum. So if she's listening to this, uh, you're a legend. You lent her $5,000 to kick all this off, and that was uh, almost all of what you had at the time. So that is incredible faith and incredible faith in your daughter. So well done. But, um, Jessica, great story. Thanks for coming on and sharing it with our community. If people can't have at least one takeaway from your story, they weren't listening hard enough, but I reckon there'll be multiple takeaways um, from the story that you just shared so Ben it's an incredible time of the year for you and me we get to uh get the front row seat of some of the best stories across Australia uh, right here on the property couch but uh, mate until next week and the next story in the series this is another example Bryce of taking
2: action because your future self will thank you for it uh,
1: there you go folks see you next week Hey guys, Bryce here again. Just want to catch you before you go and let you know if you're new to our community, there are a lot of episodes to catch up on, but it's really important that you start from the very beginning at episode number one, because episode one through to 20 share all of the foundational pillars and frameworks that you need to know to get the best out of listening to this podcast. So I'd recommend that you start there. And the little tip is to maybe start on one and a half speed. Now, for those of you that are time poor and don't have time to go back from the beginning, don't worry. We've got you covered as well because we've created a binge guide that goes through all of the details and makes it easy for you to read and get up to speed very, very quickly. So if you go to thepropertycouch.com.au forward slash fast track, you will be able to download that binge guide and you will be up to speed in no time. And whilst you're there, I've got a few extra goodies for you because we have our top top five frameworks that you'll learn on this podcast as well as the make money simple again ebook which will help you with the foundations of basic money management so you'll have everything you need to succeed in building your own lifestyle design and getting the best out of this podcast now just a reminder that anything that we cover on this podcast is not considered financial advice we certainly recommend that you get your unique circumstances looked at by your individual advisor and everything we talk about is just general in nature. But folks, I want to encourage you again to go to thepropertycouch.com.au forward slash fast track and you can go and get all
0: those goodies and catch up right away. Thank you for listening to my podcast and if you have enjoyed it, please feel free to sponsor a segment. If you're listening on Spotify, you can simply go to sponsor this podcast and you will be able to sponsor me for as little as just 99 cents a month, which is highly affordable and also gratefully appreciated. If you prefer to do something one-off, then you can just simply buy me a cup of coffee. Again, details are in the show notes below each program and you can click there and pay securely via Stripe. And again, this enables me to continue Providing these podcasts totally free of charge for you all here. So, even if you can't afford high level coaching, I'm sure that every now and again you might want to sponsor me to enable this podcast to keep running for as long as possible for you. Thank you in advance for everything you can do to help keep me keeping these going for you. And of course, you can just simply help me by spreading the word about the podcast. Put me on your social media, everywhere that you go. Tweet about me, blog about me, whatever you'd like to do about me, as long as it's beneficial and it's polite, okay? I welcome all of that, but please just circulate the information far and wide. Our job here in the Coach Mark Manila family is to get this information into the hands of the people like you who really need this and deserve to get this at a really free price. Take care. I'll see you soon.